everyone. I'm Jen Plim here with Charlotte Smarty Pants. And as always, our Charlotte Smarty Pants podcast is powered by Shrink Tank, bringing you videos, podcasts, and articles that showcase psychology and mental health found in popular culture. You can find more out at shrinktank.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Shrink Tank and Twitter is shrink underscore tank. Today, joining us today, we are we have we're going to talk about the differences between colds and allergies, and we have Dr. Hunter Hoover and Dr. Daryl Klotz of Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates. Both are ear, nose, and throat doctors who practice in Cinta's South Park office. Dr. Hoover practices comprehensive pediatric and adult ENT care and specializes in allergies, sinusitis, and sleep apnea. Dr. Klotz practices comprehensive ENT care and is fellowship trained in voice disorders. So lots to cover and a lot of big credentials here. Um, today we'll first ask you guys about runny nose. So my toddler has a runny nose and tell me what the first steps that we should take are. Runny noses are the occupational hazard of childhood. <laughs> Kids have runny noses and it's most commonly due to recurrent viral infections. And with the virus, the runny nose associated with it will on average last a few weeks. At the beginning, your toddler will have some fever and a little cough and be irritable. But then they start feeling better. And the, the right. illness is gone, but, but then their runny nose continues on for three and four weeks. Right. Yeah. And the reason is because there's a little hairs inside your nose, little cilia. And they move the mucus back uh, out of your nose and down into your throat. When you have a virus, those cilia stop working. And so your child is still making the mucus they always make, but instead of it being moved back and swallow, it just kind of sits inside the nose and then all of a sudden they kind of blow a bubble out of their yeah. nose and Yuck. it's running down their cheek and you're wiping their nose. But the fact that it's lasting for a few weeks doesn't mean they necessarily have allergies or a sinus infection. It just means that the cilia inside the nose just aren't functioning normally. I mean, the average child has six viral infections a year. Right. And if each one's last, the runny nose lasts a few weeks each time, that means the average child has a runny nose six months out of the year. If your child doesn't have a runny nose six months out of the year, there's something wrong with your child. It's the natural, it's the occupational hazard of childhood. Is there a, um, a, like a tip of the color of the, dis the nastiness that comes out of their noses <laughs> and the level of funk that it is? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And that's what everyone focuses on, and they shouldn't. Okay. It's really that the, the discolored nature of the discharge doesn't mean it's some sort of infection. The teaching okay. that, oh, when it turns yellow, you need to go see a doctor is wrong. It's just wrong. All right? It, it's... It's the persistency of the illness that's not getting better after 10 days that really should send you to a doctor, all right? The okay. fact that they have a runny nose, even if it's colored and even if it's lasting for two or three weeks, as long as the child's getting better and their quality of life is not significantly impacted, they can just continue to watch it. Okay. Hunter, is that... Uh uh, statistics of uh, six viral infections for a child in daycare or out of daycare? <laughs> that, That's a that, good question. That data comes before all our children were going in daycare. That's actually data come from 10 to 20 years ago. So now with daycare exposure 
then it's going to go up even more. I mean, what happens is their runny nose finally goes away, and then they swap snot with somebody else in daycare, and the whole process repeats itself. So in daycare, it almost becomes more of a chronic problem, Daryl. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how many people come into the office and they say, oh, my my nasal drainage was clear or my child's drainage was clear and now it's yellow and you know i probably need some antibiotics does that happen in your practice as well <laughs> every single day sure every single day it becomes that somehow the discoloration of the mucus has become the red flag that something bad's going on and they need some antibiotics and it's just wrong teaching it's just wrong that's good so how do you know the difference between it being an allergy and a cold? So initially, it's actually, uh, it can be difficult on, you know, the first, like Hunter said, a couple of weeks. Uh, it may not be uh, clear to uh, the, the mom or the, or the father or even the health professional. But the, the, real, the real marker of, of allergies is a more chronic symptom of nasal congestion, you know, a drippy nose. Um, allergies don't typically cause fever. They usually don't cause body aches. Um, allergies can cause a little bit of, you know, uh, you know, pressure if you've got a lot of swelling in the, in the, uh, in the nose and the membranes, but allergy uh, doesn't typically cause a headache like a viral syndrome often right. does. Um, so those are some of the hallmarks of, uh, of a more chronic issue. Uh, and the drainage is typically clear, but as we just said, you know, some allergy-related mucus can be spotty, uh, discolored mucus. And so that's not necessarily a, um, uh, a negative marker or a finding for allergies. So it's really the chronicity of the symptoms is the main thing. Um, and the exam, when we, when we look at the nose, we often see kind of a kind of a classic uh, swelling in the nose and thick sticky mucus which um, you know putting that together with uh, the the chronic time course is is uh, the main determinant of thinking about something more than just a, 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 a self-limiting viral syndrome and do the we other let me add in, the other thing I consider is age yeah, that's what I was just so age, age yeah so you know one and two year olds it's uncommon for them to have inhalant allergies. In other words, an allergy to ragweed or to tree pollen. That usually comes from repeated exposure. Okay. So we usually don't think of that occurring before age three or four and probably not till most commonly till they're six, eight, maybe teenage years. So the, the one and two year old who has a runny nose, odds are that's due to recurrent viral infections and just the the drainage associated right. with the viral infection. And it's only when they get older do, in my opinion, do I even really start considering that they have inhalant allergies. And do you typically go through your pediatrician to go straight to a specialist? Or like, at, what is our breaking point for moms when our kids, we think it's allergies, we're not sure, like what, what do you typically see? Well, I think the, the the best thing to do is to start with your pediatrician. I mean, they um, have a often the the best long-term, you know, relationship and uh, with uh, your child as a as a patient, and uh, are very very good at you know diagnosing and treating allergies. And not 
not uh, every child needs uh, allergy testing as the first uh, um, uh, uh, diagnostic test or, or, or treatment. So um, I would always recommend that they start with their pediatrician. And I'm talking about allergy testing, but diagnostic testing, what are the first steps that you take when a child presents with allergies? Like is it oral, you know, what kind of medications or options do parents have? So the, the first, you know, the two major uh, ways to go is one is to do what we call empiric treatment. So we think you have allergies, uh, don't do any uh, blood work, don't do any testing, and just give them an appropriate oral antibiotic. Uh, not oral antibiotic, or oral antihistamine, um, or a nasal spray, uh, depending on what the symptoms are. Allergies can have different symptoms, anything from eye symptoms, you know, nasal symptoms, um, some throat symptoms. Allergies can cause a lot of throat mucus, um, hoarseness, um, uh, along with the nasal symptoms. And uh, we can simply try treating some of the symptoms uh, uh, rather than going straight to, to allergy testing. In terms of the medicines, he, he mentioned the, the nasal sprays. For me in my practice, that's really the key. There's nasal steroid sprays are now available over the counter. Right. And they're such as Flonase and Nasacort and Ronacort. They don't even require prescription anymore. And, and right. the beauty of nasal steroid sprays is that they're safe and that they're not addictive. It's not like taking decongestant sprays. And even though it's a steroid, it's not, it's not like taking steroids by mouth. It's, it's, they're, they're safe medicines. The dose of steroids that's going into the nose is very small. Okay. And so in terms of allergy medicines, the most effective allergy medicine are nasal steroid sprays. And the second most effective medicine for allergies are nasal steroid sprays. And the third is nasal steroids. I mean, they're just great. And so antihistamines like, you know, the Allegra and the Claritin and the Zyrtec, they're just not as effective. It's not even close. Wow. And so okay. in terms of testing, for me, I, I personally want to make sure that they're actually using a nasal, if we suspect clinically that right. they have allergies, then I want to make sure that they're using a nasal steroid spray once a day, every day. It doesn't the downside is it doesn't work right away, so you got to use it on a regular basis. I want to make sure they're using it once a day, every day for a good month or so, okay. and then see them back. And usually, it's just a matter of reassuring the, the the mother that it's safe and effective, and and it doesn't work right away. Go use it. Let's come back and then assess. Right. If they're still having symptoms. Then that's when we go, okay, maybe we need to do allergy testing right? because they have really bad allergies and they need more than just medicines. Or maybe we find out it's not allergy at all and we're kind of barking up the wrong tree. So, Hunter, will you add on uh, some type of eye drop if they have a lot of eye symptomatology uh, along with your nasal spray? Yeah. Or do you just use straight nasal spray first? I'm a nasal spray guy. I, 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 so nasal I get spray that. I get that impression. Can you believe? It? So nasal sprays can help the eye symptoms without I'm even. I'm feeling spray. like I need nasal spray right now. Like my the, eyes are watering. I'm taking I have, notes. I have one in my pocket. Yeah. And my nasal, nose is running. Nasal sprays can help allergies 
eye, eye symptoms, even without spraying it in your eye. Don't spray it in your eye. Right. right. <laughs> spray it in your nose. But there's actually nerves. There seems to be nerves that connect the nose to the eye. And so if you make your nose better, those nerves send signals to your eye and tell your eyes stop watering. And so it's amazing. Nasal steroid sprays not only can help the runny nose of allergies and the blocked nose of allergies, but can also help the eye symptoms associated with allergies. Do you think it helps allergy-related hoarseness? Uh, since I'm not the horse expert in the room, I'm going to have to talk <laughs> back to you on that one, does it? You so, tell me. <laughs> so I think uh, with allergies in the voice, I think there are two different mechanisms there. One is you have bad allergies and you have post-nasal drainage and you're clearing your throat a lot. And that throat clearing, the mechanical action of clearing the throat causes vocal fold swelling and that can change your voice and you have allergies. So hoarseness related to your allergies, but not directly so. And then there's also the direct effect of allergens on the larynx, on the vocal cords. So um, if you throw some, some ragweed uh, antigen on the vocal cords, it will cause a thick, sticky mucus and swelling of the vocal cords, just like it does in the nose. So I don't think a nasal spray helps with that. I think that requires an oral and a histamine. Now we're talking about really subtleties of allergy treatment here, totally but different. that's, that's mm -hmm. my opinion on that topic. When you, when you take over-the-counter, there, are there certain times of year that, obviously there's peak allergy season, but when would you tell your child not to take it? Or if they present with any allergies, you just take it forever? That's a tough one to answer because you say there's peak allergy seasons. Well, it's Maybe peak not. allergy since the season depends upon what you're allergic to. Right, right. <laughs> so uh, if you're uh, allergic to the trees, pollen, then spring's going to be worse. And if it's you're allergic to grass, that's summer, and and fall is weeds. And but there's things such as dust mite, that's right. a year-round type allergen. And so it's very tough to tell, say specifically which season a particular person should be using. So what I tell moms is I educate them about the different seasons. So right. tree is once, if they have problems every springtime and you just classically have problems, even if we don't do allergy testing and show your allergic trees. I said, we'll start it at Valentine's and continue to end of the school year. If problems tend to be worse in summer, well, don't get behind the eight ball. Start it when school ends. Continue it until school's out. If their problem always seems to be in the fall, start it when school starts back and end it after the first frost. Do they need it year-round? I don't know. You tell me. Try it during that particular during season. season. If they're right. good, stop it. If during the next season they start having problems, start it back again during that season. Some people need it just during the spring. Some need it spring and fall. Some people are using them year-round, which is fine. It's okay if you need to use it year-round. Do you ever outgrow those allergies? Um, allergies can change over one's lifetime. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's not so much outgrowing it, but I think they can change. And so, um, and I think that's a... a a testament to our, our immune system. Our immune system is, is changing. And right. um, so just because you had allergies or did not have allergies at the age of 10 doesn't mean that you couldn't have them at 25. Um, and you could have different allergies. And 
there are different allergens across the country. So somebody who's had allergies in Minnesota, had testing, maybe even on shots, may not have a problem here or may have a bigger problem here. So it doesn't always transfer throughout your life or throughout your geographic location. Do allergies tend to be genetic? Um, uh, Very strong genetic component oftentimes, yes. Okay, so if mom or dad suffers from allergies, you can expect your kids to suffer too? It gives us a, a, a clue. It doesn't, it's not ironclad, yes, they will, but. Right. The, the, the only problem with that, so studies substantiate that if you have two, both parents have allergies and the child has at least 50% chance. So the general population, 20, 25% of people have allergies. If you have both parents have allergies, now that number bumps up to 50%, it doubles. The problem is, do the parents really have allergies? Because almost trying to figure out whether or not people have allergies right. is really challenging. And so those studies all are based upon the patient themselves saying they have allergies, not based upon them actually having any tests to prove that they have allergies. So are there any, like, what does it look like when you're facing surgery? What type of surgeries are available? And what, what are the symptoms for your children that are going to, that might be an option for them? Yeah. In terms of surgery, it it becomes what the surgical area we're addressing. And so there's three main culprits that we might address with surgery. Uh, One is uh, deviated septums. Your septum's a piece of cartilage that divides your nose in the right and left nasal passage. And so sometimes we do surgery to help that. That's generally more in adults. An adult. That's not okay. something you're in. Most kids, their septum's pretty straight. So the next is that could be some sort of chronic infection in your sinuses, and you can do sinus surgery. But once again, that's usually more in adults right. than kids. So what about kids? Well, usually it relates more to tonsils and adenoids. And so adenoids are, tonsils are in the back of the mouth. Adenoids are the exact same tissue, but they're in the back of the nose. So if, you're ad, if the adenoids are enlarged or chronically infected, they give symptoms that seem like maybe this is allergies or maybe they're having a lot of sinus infections, right. but really it's related to adenoids and removing the adenoids uh, is probably the most common surgery that we do in children to help with nasal issues. I would add, um, I will occasionally also address the turbinates um, in children where uh, they may have allergies and uh, we've done everything we think we can to control allergies, but they're turbinates, which are tissue that sit on either side of the, uh, in each nasal passage along adjacent to the septum. And they can swell and become very big. And sometimes, regardless of the nasal spray and the oral meds or shots and whatever, they remain large and reducing them will improve the symptom of nasal obstruction. And I'm very clear Uh, there is no surgery that will solve your allergy issue. We can help the symptom of obstruction, but you still need, it's not going to take the place of controlling your allergies and everything you've been doing, but it will help with some uh, nasal obstruction, as would taking adenoids out if they are kind of chronically enlarged. So, Daryl, how do you decide whether or not to take out adenoids? And what age? Like, what's the magic age for adenoids? That's a really hard one. Um, Well, you know, one easy answer so I'll take the easy answer and then you can take the harder ones Um, (laughs) the easy answer is to look and see how big they are Um, and 
two ways of, of kind of assessing adenoids is by directly looking. So uh, we can um, pass a small telescope in through the nose and look at the adenoids. Um, we can also do an x-ray that gives us kind of a shadow appearance of the adenoids. It's a little less um, accurate sometimes and you can be fooled by that, but um, it's, uh, those are the two main ways we can do it. Um, and, you know, if you look and you have a patient with, you know, ginormous adenoids, well, that's a, that's a pretty easy one to, uh, to recommend surgery, especially if they've failed a course of nasal steroid sprays, because that's kind of what we would do initially anyway um, to try to shrink the adenoids and also the, uh, the, the nasal membranes. Um, I think it's in between the completely obstructing adenoid and the one that uh, is moderately obstructing or mildly obstructing and how we judge that and how we grade that varies from every doctor um, and uh, it's a subjective call um, and so now I'd love to hear what Hunter has to say. <laughs> you can answer well, do that. They, do you can you usually take out the tonsils too with the adenoids or uh, one or the other? That's a great question. So if the problem is primarily nasal then you'd remove the adenoids Mm -hmm. and maybe reduce the reduce some of the swelling inside the nose by trimming the turbinates which Daryl was talking about removing the tonsils are in the back of the mouth and so removing the tonsils aren't going to do anything to help nasal breathing but if they're having a lot of obstructive sleep issues in other words there's not the problem's not just that they have a stuffy nose Right. But they're snoring and mouth breathing and they're tossing and turning during the night, putting their head way back to open their throat and seem to obstruct, stop breathing when they sleep. In those cases, in addition to removing the adenoids to help nasal breathing, then we may also remove the tonsils in order to just help their obstructions that occur while they're sleeping. In other words, obstructions not just in their nose, it's also occurring in their throat. Right. Okay, so that varies by case. So Hunter, how what do you um, how do you judge when to take adenoids out? Do they have to be completely obstructing the nose, or what if you have a a child who you know has twenty five percent obstruction and yeah. or fifty percent obstruction? Yeah. And does it matter how big they are, or what they look like, or so for for or me, how, and how and what do you do in your practice as far as assessing the adenoids? Yeah. What is your so. First, in terms of the symptoms, for, for me, the key is nasal obstruction. And so patients come in and moms come in and children come in and, and they say they got sinus or they got allergies. And that just means so many different things to different people. So I want to know what the actual symptom is. And they tell me that the primary symptom is nasal obstruction then for me, it really narrows down to, is this swelling in the nose from allergies? Or is this swelling in the back of the nose from adenoids? It, initial visit, it doesn't matter. I put them all on a nasal steroid spray <laughs> because the nasal steroid spray will shrink the swelling inside the nose from allergies. And as Daryl was saying, it also shrinks the size of the adenoids. You kill two birds with one stone. And if that solves the problem, great. Right. If they come back and they're still having difficulty breathing through the nose, then that's when I will put a telescope in and actually see the size of the adenoids. And the size of the adenoids correlating with 
how much difficulty they're having breathing through their nose will dictate whether or not I remove the adenoids, even in the ones that they're more moderately enlarged. So let me ask a fairly mundane question, but I think it's a really important one. And you being the nasal steroid <laughs> guy, um, so I walk in your office with my three-year-old, and you tell me that I'm going to spray something in my child's nose every night. How does that go over? And, you know, I'm, I do it all the time, so I, I understand. <laughs> uh, but I'd like to hear what your, uh, how, how do you tell somebody to use a nasal steroid spray? And, and when the mother looks at you with apprehension and says, you want me to do what? Yeah. Like, I can barely get my child to brush his teeth. Well, there, that is the rate-limiting step in this whole process, is actually getting the medicine inside the child. Right. It's always the rate-limiting step. And so, yes, there are some that it's just too much. There's only so many battles you can fight in one day with your child. And if spraying their nose becomes that big of a battle, then I back off and we try to consider a different route. So I do, I find that the majority of the time, what the mom really needs is some education that it's safe and right. that it's effective. And then they're more willing to kind of have the struggle with the child. But if, if they know it's safe and effective, but still just can't spray it in their nose, then we're gonna have to go down a different path. Or maybe let the kids spray it in their nose. Yeah, I, 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 I try mean, they to... they love putting stuff in their nose, right? <laughs> yeah. Why not spray a spray? I either find that the parents come back and say, oh, Johnny loves doing this. He does it himself. Or it's like, I couldn't get him to do it at all. And, and, and no it, in between. It's one or the no. other. <laughs> yeah, it's often it seems that, that cut and dried. But um, what about uh, nasal irrigations? So <laughs> not just nasal sprays, but doing like a neti pot or a squeeze bottle of nasal saline and you know I'm terrible my, at those and, you know it's one of the one of the most low-tech effective things for rinsing your nose out if you're an allergic sufferer and it, you know uh and so you're an adult and you just said you not I'm so good so at that bad at it. I feel so like what type do you use I just you use, I, I don't I haven't done it in a long time but my cousin gave me a neti pot a, a couple of years ago and we laughed so hard because I don't know where the where it went like where the fluid went I was like it's I don't know where it went but she did it she does it all the time she loves it so swears by it and so there's there's the thing people either love it or they hate I'd be it. more inclined so, to spray so so as Daryl says multiple studies have shown that nasal irrigations help children and adults with chronic nasal problems, be it chronic sinusitis, be it allergies, you name it, multiple studies have shown they help. The problem is the delivery mechanism, and I personally find that the neti pot is hard. It is you hard. You kind of got to get in the right position and turn this right. tilt your head. And so there's, uh, there's some newer devices. Uh, one, the one that's at every drugstore now is the one called Nilmed and it's N-E-I-L, like Neil the name, because the people that started the company named it after their son. So it's called Neil Med. And it's a squeeze bottle, just like you'd use oh, for like a, you, you'd have on your bicycle or take to the gym. But instead of drinking out of it, it's, you squeeze it and it's, it squirts out the top. You put it up against your nose and you squeeze it and it goes up one nostril and then comes out the other. And it's, uh, trust me, I've, I've irrigated my nose with every device out there, you know, neti pots, nail med bottles, 
turkey basters, water picks, anything that's been recommended, I've drowned myself in it. And I personally find that the squeeze bottle is, is the actually the easiest way to accomplish the task. And so what that does for, and it's just a simple allergy sufferer, is that it washes out all the allergens from your nose. So, you know, another good idea is when you come in from being outside, you take a shower. You don't rub your face. You don't touch your, your eyes with right. your hands. So you wash your hands. You take a shower. You get all the allergen and, and wash it out of your, off of your body, off of your hands, out of your hair. And then the nasal rinse is like giving your nose a shower and it, it's 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 the taking it one step further and it's great okay well thank you so much for joining us today if smarties would like to make an appointment with dr hoover or dr klotz or any of the Senta doctors you can call 704-295-3000 and more information is online at goodsenses.com and you can always find us at charlottesmartypants.com. Facebook and Instagram are at charlottesmartypants, and Twitter is at charlottesmarty.